The following podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Please always seek a registered financial advisor for any investment advice. To say you simply flooded the system with money. Yes, we did. That's another way to think about it. We did. Where does it come from? Do you just print it? We print it digitally. So we, you know, we, as a central bank, we have the ability to create money um, digitally. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 71 of Pounding the Table. This episode is brought to you by Jock Market, where fantasy sports meets the stock market. We actually brought the co-founder on this week, fresh off their $10 million Series A, and they're giving out some special offers, so stick around at the end to win some free cash. But to start things off real quickly, got to touch on earnings from last week. Jackson Hole obviously brought some serious FUD to the markets, but the Dow dropping over 1,000 points on Friday. Going to touch on the student loan forgiveness. Is this time going to be similar as last time with the Stimmies? Home prices declined 0.77% for the largest decline in about three years. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up with the interview with Jock Market's co-founder, as well as earnings for next week. Now, obviously, the the most important thing of the week was Jackson Hole, but the loudest on Twitter, I think, must have been student loans. I know that was a very hot topic for many. So, Joey, I'll have you start things off here because I know this is very close to home. So, you know, this whole student loan forgiveness, and they love to say that they're canceling, you know, this this huge number of debt. It was like something like $10,000 in student loan forgiveness for specific borrowers meeting you know, specific criteria. And it came out to like a $300 billion package. Now, I hate that it keeps saying we're gonna cancel this debt because you can't just cancel debt. You can't make it magically disappear. It has to go somewhere. So it's essentially being transferred from the borrower, You know, the person that took out this money, knowing they would have to pay it back and transferring it to the US taxpayer, essentially, I would think of it as think of someone that took out student loans, paid them back, and now they're being burdened with someone else's student loan debt. And that that's the part that gets me. Now, I'm all for helping people in need, but there's also this this point where it's like someone like me that it took me, what, 11 years to graduate from college because, you know, I went on and off, but it got to a point where I was paying one class at a time because I knew, okay, my uh, monthly income, I can afford to take this like one class. So it'd just be, you know, slowly doing it because I didn't want to take out student loans. I didn't want to do that. So it's almost, you know, my personal experience of, you know, being very responsible. And now it's not like I want 10 grand for something else. Like, yeah, I've got, I've got my mortgage. I'd love for someone to do it, but you know, it wouldn't be like them just magically going in and changing a number from what I owe it would then be, you know, my neighbors having to pay my mortgage. So that's how I look at it. And I just think this is the wrong way to go about it, especially, you know, we've already got a big enough hole in this country and we're just printing money nonstop while lighting it on fire other places that, you know, on top of this Inflation Reduction Act, which is not, it is not that. This is, you know, the Save the Puppies Act. You know, they just renamed it to make it something that people could vote for and, and want a stomach, but it's just, you know, I've, I've said over and over and over my lack of trust, lack of confidence, lack of everything in our current administration and even in our, our Fed. And this is just, you know, it's just another nail in that coffin of me not having any confidence in any of this. So it doesn't surprise me by any means that, that we're seeing this. And I mean, I think you guys, you know, you both have your own experience with that, but I feel like the opinions all all kind of line up the same. Yeah, yeah. I got to play this clip from Pelosi because she says the president doesn't have the power. And, and the more I read into it, it sounds like the Supreme Court could essentially block this. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would has to be an act of Congress. You know, it puts Republicans in obviously a bad spot. They look like the bad guys if they push back and, you know, go against this right before midterms. It's kind of this. Yeah, this is the drive for your midterm. Sweet timing there. So my question for you is, was this her response to what Biden is doing? Or is this an old clip? Like, basically, this was an old clip. This was an old clip. Okay. But it still has to go through Congress, though. Like he's putting it's like 
playing chess, whatever, with Congress and making them have to do something and act because they have to still approve the funding. Like you can do a whatever order if you want, but all funding so goes. Do you think they're proposing a terrible idea knowing a red wave is coming? So then they vote it down yeah. and Republicans look bad? Yes, right, right. 100%. So That's can- the same thing as Obamacare is like the like if you look back in 2016, Obamacare spiked right before the election, like 100, 100 plus percent. A ton of that had to do with why Trump won. And so you're just right here looking and seeing that you have most of America, which falls below the I make 125,000 or more or or less as a family of four or two or whatever, like two parents and kids. I think it's 250. So like as much as, yeah, it's like, oh, this is this could be terrible for inflation. Like, it's not going to people who are going to be spending like stupidly. It's going towards people who are actually getting affected by everyone else being dumb with money. And so, like, yeah, I could totally see it being a tough thing. I paid for my tuition and that was expensive. So I paid for my brother's tuition and that was also very expensive. But he gets to have like, I don't know, 20K off what he has left because of the Pell, because he's gotten a Pell Grant. 99.9% sure it's 250K for a married couple. Bobby, I'm telling you, buddy, I think I'm you live in a very that. different place than most of America lives. See, like I it would be when all this political nonsense comes out, like I, I even stopped reading because I just think I'll just be more infuriated than, you know, I should be. I mean, I mean politics, I always think are a short term thing. But yeah, I thought it was one hundred twenty five thousand like per household. And I'm thinking, OK, that that's somewhat reasonable. But you're talking to if two parents are making two hundred fifty grand, you can afford to pay off your kid's school. Let alone, I mean, I think at that rate. Oh, wow. I just saw you are right, Avi. This is extra stupid. I'm All right. I don't right. say anymore. No, this, <laughs> this, is, this is dumb. Yeah. Because this is not a You're talking a quarter million dollars. And yeah, now I'm funding this because if you're making a quarter of a million dollars, figure it out. Well, so they got away with I mean, they're getting away with it because it technically is. Um, I was reading up about this. The HEROES Act after 9-11, the president could effectively say, you know, with emergency, whether it's war, military operation or national emergency, quote unquote, which both Trump and Biden declared. So technically, I mean, this is going to come down to legality of, of how they view this. But yeah, but see, and then it comes down to you see, you know, John Stewart trying to get people funding for like all the, the effects of being by burn pits. It's like all this stuff should be covered under these different acts, but the acts are so full of crap that nothing actually gets you know, allocated where it should be. Now, it's kind of like looking at this whole Inflation Reduction Act. You actually look at where all of that money is going and you're like, this is going to make inflation so much worse. I saw the Wall Street Journal, including both that and then talking about this whole student loan thing, calling the Inflation Expansion Act. And I feel like that is <laughs> a very fitting name because, and so I know we're going to get to Jackson Hole next, but imagine if you are you know, the head of the Fed, you're trying to do everything you can to, stop inflation from being as bad as it is, stop printing money as much as you are. Then you've got these ridiculous acts and bills being announced where you're like, I can't even, you know, plug this fire hose with a Band-Aid and now you're just going to make it worse by turning up the pressure on me. So, I mean, I'm surprised Jerome Powell doesn't throw up his hands and just walk away. So, I mean, this is different though, too. I want to bring this back to like, does this impact like the stimmies, right? And for me, it's yeah. resounding no, because yeah. this is not like money just handed out. This is money that they owed versus handing people $1,500 checks, $1,200 checks, right? So I don't think this is yeah. going to have the same impact with retail just rushing into the market, obviously. Then You're going to forget one thing. About that. You're forgetting one thing. The kind of people who are in debt most of the time, like are the kind of people that will take the money that they don't have and do something else with it. And so if you don't have debt here, you'll get debt somewhere else, my friend. And I think it's actually going to be way more than the actual STEMI, but you're not going to see it like last time because everything's so screwed. Like we have to touch on this too. I'm just going to throw it in here now because I forgot to bring it up before we did, before we started the pod. But like the energy crisis in Europe, if you're in Europe right now and you're living in any country, you are SOL, right? Like dude, that I think was like inflation for Germany was up like 20% just recently and like the actual energy costs in Europe, it's like becoming almost impossible to live there. Like people are going to shut in the life. US. I just had like a 300% increase from last year in my own electric bill. And I called I saw that. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's normal. Crazy. And I'm like, 
that's not normal. They're like, well, we install a smart meter. I'm like, smart for you guys, but this is, there's no way I live in like an 800 square foot apartment in New York. It's bullshit. So, and Europe, like you were talking about, is insane right now. People are riding. The Europe, it's starting to get Europe crazy over there. The European energy crisis. Like, yeah, I'm seeing people, like all these different businesses are having to close down because they can't pay their electricity bills or like these pubs that can't even, you know, keep their kegs cold because their energy bills are skyrocketing. Like, people are going to start dying and they really got to figure it out. But I mean, I kind of go back to what you hear from even the prior administration saying, you know, having having all of your energy rely on these very few providers is not going to end well. And you see that, yeah, it is, it is not a pretty situation over there. All right, let's get into an earnings recap. Last week, we talked about Zoom. We didn't talk about DLocal, but we will talk about it right now. Salesforce, NVIDIA, Snowflake, and Microsoft, we're going to touch on here in just a second. So kick us off here, Joey. What happened here with Zoom? It's down on the week. So we talked about how Zoom is essentially, it's it's been like commoditized. There's so many different ways to have these video chats. I think the bulk of my meetings and chats are on Google Meet these days. And I mean, the other is just FaceTiming. It, it's so easy to get on a screen with anybody you want to at any time. Yeah, Zoom has a very good offering, but you put all of them side by side, you cannot really tell the difference. So they did pull forward a lot of growth during the pandemic, and that's when you saw the, the stock absolutely take off. But as that growth rate has decelerated big time, now people are stuck, which we've talked about time and time again, what is the correct multiple to assign to this now that it's not growing all that fast, but is very profitable? So this quarter, they reported total revenue growth of 8%. The margins were great. The total number of customers contributing more than 100,000 was up a good amount, but it's that top line growth that did not excite people. And then their outlook going forward did not excite people. So yeah, you saw this stock take a hit. And I mean, Tony and I were both talking about this, how it, it seems very inexpensive down here, but like where, where do we think the stock could go from here? And even if you think you could generate, you know, market beta returns in this, I think you could find 20 other companies with superior growth profiles that you wouldn't just want to trade, but you want to buy and hold for the long term. So this just gets thrown in the, the bucket of, yeah, it's very inexpensive, but why couldn't it get more inexpensive? And then, you know, why would you want to pay more for this? So well, think of I just kind of inflation too, right? So if I'm a company and I'm paying for Zoom, and Microsoft says, hey, here's it for half price or here's it for free. That's an easy cost to cut, right? It's not like a Salesforce where you got, we always talk about, you got to rip everything out, right? Has well, Kathy Wood gone insane or she's just like really sticking to her guns here on everything to the bottom? Like she, so with <laughs> Zoom, just bought more. Yeah, with Zoom, it's kind of like what you just said, you know, your margin is my opportunity. The good thing that, you know, what Jeff Bezos always used to say, so why can't Microsoft just give this away? Just like Adobe can give away Adobe Sign until DocuSign just, you know, gives up and, you know, gets acquired by somebody. It's, yeah, these these one-trick ponies, as we like to call them, where, yeah, with DocuSign, you could say it, it's reimagining the entire agreement process, all this thing. It's like your digital signatures and and you could, you know, create PDFs of these contracts. Like Adobe does that. I'm sure plenty of other companies do it. So I would rather own Adobe or Microsoft with all of these features that these companies have than going for like a pure play on a one trick pony. I've said the same thing about like PagerDuty, where it is great with this, you know, alerting someone if something goes wrong. But, you know, Atlassian has OpsGenie, which is essentially the same thing. And they have it along with all of their other offerings with Confluence, Trello, Jira, everything. So I feel like they can almost give that away to stomp out competition for the long term. So let's, let's, We'll bring it back around to Kathy Wood. She sold NVIDIA for Zoom. Oh, okay. That, so that was like, yeah. like Zoom for second largest holding behind Tesla, then Roku, Teladoc, Block, Exact Science. Wild. You know? We said this a while ago. That, like, if, if you're going to try to be like slingshotting yourself up, which is what she's like, she's moving around to stuff that she finds the most undervalued. But if everyone else finds it like not undervalued and just dead, like you could have picked crowd, snow, data dog, like we said, like th yeah. three, four months ago and Kathy would have crushed. But yeah, what's the that old saying? It's like, you know, 
cheap stocks are cheap for a reason. Yeah. You don't want those. I'd rather own an expensive stock growing at high rates than a cheap stock growing at low rates because that cheap stock, what's this exactly like I just said about Zoom? It's cheap. What's to stop it from getting cheaper? Like it's X times earnings. What's to stop it from being 15 times earnings or two times sales? Like it's, it's what people are willing to pay. I'm not willing to pay anything for it. So, I mean, I guess I bring that average down. That's well, fair. That- I think a lot of people probably feel the same, especially just because like we, we've talked about this. I feel like we, we, we've gone over this a good amount of times of saying like, if you were to look at the stocks that are down the least, those are the ones that are not going to go down as much as everything else already is. Like it just sounds so easy and so stupid, but it is so simple to think like if you're something like Snow, who obviously like Snow is a good example. And I know we're just about to get into that, Joey. Like it was one of those names that got absolutely murdered all the way from like, I don't know, almost 400 down to almost under 100. And then, you know, like it started basing down here in this like really terrible condition. It died way faster than most other things. But people eventually said, hey, it is actually super cheap. And then the earnings start proving it out. And like you saw that with Mealy and Net and everything. But now you're looking at stuff like Teladoc, which just goes down every single earnings or something like Zoom, which like is clearly not even able to get over 100 for a long. And so like there are names that people just liquidate on every possible run up. Like I was hearing something just if you think about it, too, like the way the Fed's treating the market, it's using any big rally as like exit liquidity to keep inflation lower and and help them do their job of trying trying to do their job. So I think it's the same thing happens here with like really terrible companies like that. Like not saying Zoom is like as bad as Teladoc because it's like really hard to be as bad as Teladoc. But those are the ones that are getting liquidated on every pump even more. And that's why you're seeing like relative strength in certain ones that we've discussed, like a lot of the software names, because they are less susceptible to all this stuff going on in the world. So Snow was kicking ass at 52% in the past three months, 50 last month, and 30% almost in the last five days. So Joey, we said to sit on that one for a second. You wanted to see what they did on earnings and they made you wish you bought. No, so this is a situation where I don't regret not buying because, you know, kind of everything I was saying still stands. I was worried if they missed a single metric that they would have been absolute pummels and pushed and right. back closer to the low. And I think that's exactly what would have happened. Now, they did not miss on a single thing. So, you know, they popped, what, 20, 30%. I feel like the downside would have been the same had they stumbled. So when I look at the risk to reward on getting into a stock just before earnings, like that, that's what I was left at. It just didn't make sense to where you know, sitting on your hands, waiting for the earnings release. Now it'd be a situation where you feel like you're chasing. But, you know, this market, as we saw on Friday, is so unstable that I feel like, yeah, it might be able to hold its, you know, post earnings run up gains. But this is one where if the market deteriorates, I feel like it's going to be right back where it was before earnings. And we'll get, we'll have plenty of time to build significant long term positions in this name because it's so early in its growth story. And there's still a lot of hurdles for this, I guess, economy as a whole to get through before we're really stable and off to the races like we, we've been in the past. You're talking about Microsoft kind of rethinking the Activision acquisition here. And I, I kind of disagree with your sentiment long term. I just started playing Madden again and people are playing more and more video games. So I, I think long term gaming is still going to be big, but. I know that was a big reason NVIDIA kind of was down. We looked at SE as well for that reason, right? And so you were touching on Microsoft rethinking Activision. Yeah, I mean, so before we started the podcast, we were just talking, you know, gaming has been a massive issue for a lot of companies. Yeah, NVIDIA, C-Limited. I would think, you know, Microsoft buying Activision, it makes sense to beef up with the whole Xbox. You know, it makes that that whole side of the business massive. But I, I just kind of go back to Microsoft could do so much more with the amount of capital that they're deploying to do this, that, you know, it would make sense if they wanted that deal to fall apart and do a bunch of smaller deals in the gaming space or go after something completely different. But I get your point where, you know, gaming isn't something that's going to go away. Yeah, it's in a it's in a rough spot. But, you know, I don't think that they're going to try to walk away from it. I just thought it'd be interesting, you know, if, if they want to do something else, be, given that it's such a large amount of capital. The past few episodes, we said we're just kind of waiting for home prices to come down. And finally, as I mentioned earlier, they declined 
0.77% from June to July. So the first monthly decline in nearly three years. So it's one of those things that reminds me of the meme where stocks are going down, 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 80% pops 5% and everyone's cheering. Like it declined the most in three years. However, it's also risen. If you look at the, the charts, it's probably risen a lot in the past two to three years as well, right? It has, it's gone up like from 340,000 national average to like, I think 450 or so at the highs. So like home prices went up like well over 25, 30% on average in America in the last like year plus. So and what has the media done at the same time? Yeah. And yeah. And and then <clears throat> it's funny, you see like the chart of like real wages under home price and they're like, oh, look, it's finally starting to tick up a little bit. And it's just like, get fucked US. Like still don't get to have the same house. But yeah, I mean, Avi, we've mentioned that a lot of times just cause you know how we've been talking about the market being like a cyclical nature between assets where like, home prices were just dying, dying during COVID because this deflationary like impact it had. And then that, that's where you got all those crazy high flyers running like crazy because deflationary times is, is is very good for those names. And now you're starting to see the converse a little bit. But as we'll get into with Jackson Hole and everything, like obviously the rest of the world is not in a good place. So like that's not really great for the overall economy. It's pushing us further along the curve of when does housing crash and or not like crash, like maybe, housing is probably going to be like a softer landing, obviously, because it's more illiquid. But you, when does housing bottom out and then you start seeing money start selling, going from that into other different uh, asset classes? So I just want to say this real quick. So I don't know if you guys saw that Gavin Newsom is like trying to stop people legally from moving from California to Texas or to Florida. And you look at this now, the data's behind it, right? San Jose saw the largest decline from 10% in recent months, followed by Seattle, San Francisco, San Diego, and Los Angeles. So four of the top five in Denver following that at 4.2%. So that's pretty wild. You see this kind of, like, I think a lot of them was like billionaires lean out of California. I've, I've seen all the people trying to operate. You even see what like Elon Musk was going through in California and shifting operations away. Yeah, there's a lot of wealthy people that are just, it seems like everybody's choosing Texas. That seemed to be the place to go. I mean, especially going from California to Texas, I guess it's it's more so, it's, it's not like you're moving to the other side of the country like it would be for Florida, but yeah, you look at kind of how Florida and Texas have handled themselves. And I lived in Florida for 29 years. And, you know, if, it, if home prices were, you know, weren't as crazy as they are now and, and mortgage rates weren't through the roof, that it would be easier, you know, shifting back down south. But you know, for now, it's just kind of like, yeah, your best is safe. All right, guys, it's Sunday. I want to get going here. So the biggest news of the week, obviously, Jackson Hole. Jay Powell opened his mouth and stocks went south. Thousand points on the Dow. I think the NASDAQ was down like almost 4%. So what what did he say that got the market so worried? Yeah, I got a good summary here for you, Avi, just some notes here. So they're pretty much the biggest focus was clearly, the, and then they hammered this home, was to try to bring inflation back down to 2%. So best of luck with that, first of all. They want to restore price stability, and that's obviously going to take a lot of time and require using all their tools to bring down demand and supply into a better balance. And so, like, you know, we've always, we've been talking about this for a while, of like anytime the market starts to get better, something comes out from the administration slash government slash fed and then for whatever reason it continues to go lower right so it's like market screaming that's inflationary that's what kind of got us here in in terms of the market and, and in that regard so anytime the market gets this big big crazy rally short squeeze vibes the fed comes out and does stuff and they've done that for like the last year but it's going to take a while for them to get back to that like sustained period of like the below the current trends growth. So they'll definitely continue to be doing a ton of things and watching the data. But I think the Powell just they just they just use very opportune times to start creating demand destruction. And it's also like it makes sense because the rest of the world's in a much tougher place in the U.S., which we also mentioned, like money's flowing into the U.S. because everything else is so bad. It's not that the U.S. is good. Like we suck right now. But so does everyone else. We're just a little less sucky. And so people flow money into the U.S. when you get like, you know, the euros under the dollar. Like I've been you can buy stuff from Europe now and 
and it's less than one dollar for one euro, which is it's like a, it's like a lot of really crazy things are happening. And so nowhere near ready for everyone to say that the oh the the global macro conditions are okay. They were also saying that they're expecting to see some softening of labor market conditions. Yeah, I mean, like if people are working to pay back their student loans and then you don't have to do it anymore, you might not need two jobs now. I'm just going to run through the rest of the things they said. They were talking about restoring price stability is going to likely require maintaining restrictive policy stance for some time, which means like we're not done yet. There's no Fed put yet. The historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. So I think a lot of people started getting concerned that there was going to be a Fed put when things we're getting super, super bad, but I think they're kind of telling you that they're going to focus on the data and there's not really going to be a Fed put in in the near future at all. So they know they can't control supply, but there is a way that they can moderate demand. And once again, that's that demand destruction and different things that we're talking about here. They're saying that longer term inflation expectations uh, appear to be you know, well anchored, but you can't be complacent about that because the longer inflation continues, the worse it'll be because it's like hard to bring numbers back down, right? Like if your milk starts going up t twice, it's like maybe it goes back down 30% and bottoms there. But a lot of inflationary things are pretty lasting. So they're going to keep at it until the job's done. Tony summed it up perfectly. So essentially, Powell came in, he was as hawkish as ever. And I, I think he realized because, you know, inflation's still very out of control. And, you know, we're not really doing anything to stop it. You know, we keep this just insane spending going on. So people really want him to stop the 75 basis point rate hikes. And I think he had originally said, you know, they, they probably get to like 50s and then start going quarter points to round out the year. But, you know, with how his speech just went, I think that's what threw people off is he seemed even more hawkish than he was a couple of weeks ago. And now people really don't know what to think. And the whole don't fight the Fed is kind of stronger than ever right now because, you know, for a while they could be ignored. But now, you know, it, it all things Fed, you know, crossing the wire. And you saw what happened in the stock market on Friday simply on on the little, I guess, the spark notes of his speech. So it remains to be seen what else will come out of Jackson Hole. And I'm very interested to see, like like you kind of talked about before, Avi, at this next Fed meeting to see the actual commentary, see his press conference, see everything that comes out of it. but. This market where we saw it, you know, it was quite strong for quite a while when we almost had like a two month. It seemed like we were in uptrend since June 16th or so. But this is a very shaky market. So I, I almost used the last two weeks or so to de-risk, which I, I kind of alluded to, I think, two podcasts ago. It was kind of like a de-risking week. And after, you know, the Friday bloodbath, you know, I don't get stuck on prices like, oh, I don't like selling into a bloodbath. But I've been in the the mode of de-risking. So I've continued to do that. And I really want to see something positive to really spark, you know, the need to get into, I guess, higher growth names that have a, a little bit more of a risk profile. But, you know, for now, it's almost sticking with the boring, you know, the KISS method, as we've talked about time and time again, that that's kind of the the strategy I'm taking right now before or until I see something that really gets me excited that, okay, now the market can be off to the races because, you know, X, Y, and Z create the conditions that we need to do so. But yeah, until that time comes, this is almost like a de-risking, buckle up, hold on for dear life and kind of hope for the best. While the market's kind of in shambles once again, I think what people are excited about is, is fantasy sports, the NFL season, college football is right around the corner. So we brought Tyler Carlin into the booth here, fresh off their $10 million Series A as our guest from Jock Market. Tyler, welcome to Pounding the Table. And, and we're really excited to have you on because we're going to be doing this hopefully for the next couple of weeks as the NFL season rolls out to just get people looped in a little bit with the sports and trading elements as well. Yeah, no, obviously, I uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. This is exciting. I think uh, your audience, like in just in general, touches. There's a lot of overlap between finance crowds, sports betters. Everything in between poker, big time of year for us with tour championship wrapping up this weekend. So we have some, we have cash market going on for that. And then obviously football NFL's right around the corner and rolls right into NBA. This is the combination, right? Of both the stock market and sports betting. Before we kind of just jump right into how to play and everything, can you just give us a very high level overview of, you know, what jock market is. And then I'd love to hear like what inspired this is, are you a background in finance or you have a background in sports marketing or 
No, I think similar to you guys, you know, I grew up playing sports, always enjoyed video games, poker, following along stocks, uh, not to date myself, but Coca-Cola and Motorola were my first two stocks when I was like, I think 10. So flipping through the paper every morning, looking up what the stock price was. So that's kind of followed through throughout my life. The stock market for sports concepts, one of those things that always appealed to me every time someone launched one, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, wish I had done that. And then, you know, fast forward to like 2018 timeframe when we we're trying to raise money for, for this. And it was, it just felt crazy that it wasn't a thing. And so we've spent a lot of time kind of on the underlying model of figuring out how it works. So just like super high level, this isn't like a speculative market where you're just collectible, trying to chase higher prices and getting someone to buy for, for higher than what you paid. There's a true like guaranteed payout associated with every single share. And so we've done a lot to make it feel more like a fantasy game and kind of have the language speak what sports fans are already familiar with. And that's like fantasy scoring and rankings. And so every single rank has a different payout value. And so going into like an NFL Sunday, you know that the top share is worth $25 per share, second place 20, and it goes all the way down. And so it just gives, it gives people a sense of like, hey, what's the fair value for this thing without having to do like some crazy complicated discounting cash flow analysis and things like that. When uh, we started chatting with the uh, jock market, I wasn't sure how helpful I could be, but you know, cause I'm not a huge sports guy in the slightest besides like Duke basketball and maybe some soccer, but I thought it was very cool how it kind of just mimics a stock market pretty closely, right? Like with the IPO process he was talking about and you got these break even points. And I do like the fact that, you know, you don't have to have this binary thought in your head, right? You can make money off of a little arbitrage here, some buying and selling and like make a portfolio of players, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. We've tried to make it so that there's a little bit of something for everyone. You don't have to be like the hyper engaged, active day trader to have success on our platform. A lot of the finance theory, like buy and hold certainly applies. So it's like, depends what you want to do and how active you want to be. But if, if you just want to come in during the IPO phase, which is basically the time before like the first game starts, where it's really just a mechanism for us to like get shares in the user's hands so they can then trade throughout the game. Just like, for instance, you think Jonathan Taylor is going to have a big day. Maybe he, his price in the IPO is going for like $10. And that means that he needs to finish in like the top 20 for you to make money. Maybe you'll buy some Jonathan Taylor shares and then Maybe you'll put something into like a more speculative wide receiver who could be a little more boom bust type player, have some risk, but obviously there's a lot of upside to, to offset that. And so it's, it's really whatever people want to make of it. And we've tried to make it feel again, much more like a fantasy app so that finance theory is not intimidating, but at the same time, all the same strategy applies. So you can really take it wherever you want it, which I think is the coolest thing. You don't have to be a sports fan. Maybe you're just a business guy, you're like an analytics guy, you like finance. And so um, it would work for those folks too. What, what I love about it is like not binary. It's not a win all or lose all like with betting, right? And you can't like, there is live betting, right? That has now existed, but really you have to kind of hedge out of your position here. You're able to move players around based if someone's really good, but having a poor game, you can buy them low and eventually, you know, they should regress to the mean or their fantasy averages essentially for the week. So this, this is really cool. And so the IPO is essentially like the ringing of the bell is kind of like kickoff, right? And then you start to trade and there's a lot of volatility, I imagine, back and forth. And so how you were mentioning that you could even like short players. How, how does that work? Yeah, no, it's, it's it's one of those things when not everyone's like even familiar with like shorting it. So I think one of the challenges with just the app is how do you make that easy to do and kind of seamless for the person that's not familiar with it. And so it's like the easiest way to think about it is Every single price is really like a break-even rank. And so people already understand, people who are familiar with sports already understand kind of the concept of, of rankings. And so it's like, okay, well, if this guy's trading at five bucks, that means he needs to finish in the top 40 for me to make money. And so we can just show you basically, okay, this guy's trading at 40 and kind of remove the price from uh, the equation. And it's like, do you think he's going to finish higher or lower than 40? And if you think he's going to finish higher, then we can walk you through basically like, how you create a buy order. And if you think he's going to finish lower, then we can walk you through how to short. And you don't even need to know what shorting is. It's more of like, do I think this guy's going to overperform or underperform? And like, basically then you get to the point of like, oh, well, I'm just like talking about sleepers and like all these other things. We talk about penny stocks and like people are like, yeah, if you're, if you're not close to the markets, you don't necessarily know like what even does a penny stock mean? But it's like, when you tell them like, hey, this is like 
some fourth string wide receiver that has, you know, he's going to go for a dollar in the IPO, but he has a chance of 10 bucks. That's kind of the equivalent of penny stock in our market. So. Right. And you can, I mean, there's the edge, right? It's people that research a company and have a little extra edge and understanding of what they're going to be doing in the future. It's similar here, you know, that a, a third string receiver may be out or nursing a hamstring injury, grab that yeah. fourth stringer for like a dollar. We've been talking a lot about football. There's golf this weekend. So you guys are running the tournament here for golf as well. Yeah, for sure. So we have same sort of deal, payout structure going on for golf. So again, it's a live market. You can get shares in the IPO. If you miss out on the IPO, you can still buy live during the tournament. The tour championship's a little bit different because there's no cut. Normally, like Friday is like moving day because you don't necessarily know who's going to make the cut and still continue playing into the weekend. So generally, we get a fair amount of trading like Friday around the cut line. But this weekend, you know, there's it's still going in the weekend. So like everyone, all 30 golfers are still playing on Sunday. If a guy is, has a four-stroke lead and you think he's going to collapse because he just doesn't have the pedigree, like you could short him. And so like that's something that, you know, still applies in golf and our, our prize values kind of work similar to like what the first structure is for a golf tournament. And so obviously the guy that finishes first is going to get paid out more than the guy that finishes second. And so you can really trade all the way up until the very end, depending on what the market has in the appetite. So touching on that just a little more, so this tiered system. So you said first place ends at like $25 a share. So is this yep. something you'll see prior to starting the, the day or the kickoff or the tournament for golf here? you'll see kind of the payouts based off where they end up at, essentially. Yeah, exactly. I think like Scotty Scheffler ended up going for like 10 bucks in our IPO, which means he needed to finish, I think, in the top 10. So he had to finish in like the top third of the field. And he's a pretty good golfer. So if you think that's good odds, then you know, maybe you'll buy some shares at 10 bucks with Scotty Scheffler, knowing that if he finishes first, you'll get 25 a share. If he finishes second, you'll get 20. And if maybe if he just finishes outside, um, you know, the top 10, like say he finishes 12th, like you'll get paid back, say $8. And so you'd only lose a little bit of money. You know, it's not sports betting where it's like, oh, I'm either win double my money or lose everything. And so they're like degrees of winning. It's like a stop loss. That's one of the reasons why we were super interested in talking to you guys, because we initially started with just casual kind of fantasy sports fans. And like, how do we make it work for those folks and make it intuitive and feel more like a fantasy app than a finance app that can turn off some people often feels intimidating. And then on the flip side, the finance crowd, they don't necessarily care. They just want to know, can I get as much money down as I want, when I want? And so we knew we kind of had to wait on those folks because early days, you know, we're just trying to build the market sizes and liquidity. And so we're, we're finally at a point where, you know, we've had people get tens of thousands of dollars down into any single market. And so we're nice. finally starting to expand out to the groups that you know, the ones that are providing liquidity and uh, really helping kind of drive activity because liquidity at the end of the day is really what makes the game fun because people, we launched like basically right around COVID, we were trying to launch for the masters in, in 2020. So we had to wait for basically sports to come back. And so started with PGA, then NFL, then NBA, quickly launched NHL, MLB and NASCAR. And so those are our sports right now. And we're looking to do soccer in the near term. Obviously EPL has been a popular request. Nice. Uh, especially, yeah, especially with World Cup uh, right. coming, um, you know, this winter. And then we've had requests for like UFC, esports, PLL is actually, I think, a, a growing sport with lacrosse and a lot of scoring. So, so basically anything you can rank where you can make a game. So do you need like licensing for each of these sports or how do you roll out, you know, and kind of roadmap what sports you're going to be adding here? Yeah, no, good question. I mean, definitely factors into our analysis of like which sports do we want to launch next? And so we work with one of the larger data providers in the U.S. Apple Radar, if you've heard of them. But so we license all of our in-game data from them and then player headshots and stuff like that that you want to show in app. But that's kind of the extent of the licensing piece. The fact is then obviously of like how much, what do we think the market sizes are going to be like for this? What's payback period? And those are all things that kind of we consider, like how big is the actual market that's interested in playing these things? And as we kind of roll out next place. So how does the market close? Because I know on some other applications that are out there, you know, it takes a while because sometimes you need to like make sure that they got the five yards versus four yards and things like that, because that can affect the the markets, right? And so is yeah. this like a four o'clock market closes and game end market closes, or is it like midnight that night or how's that work? No, it's actually that nice segue. I don't even know if it was intentional, but like we basically rely on sport radar to say, hey, these stats 
our final. This is what's going to be recorded. We do basically like lock in some sort of upper bound, like, hey, if we don't get any sort of adjustments within 12 hours, we'll close the market and pay out based on what we have just so people aren't waiting too long. But we generally try to wait for school radar to give us a signal. They're like, hey, these, these stats are good. These are of record. And, and then we'll pay out according to that. So generally, it depends on the score. But Anytime within like an hour or two, I would say is, is pretty safe as far as like expectation for, for when you receive your payout. And we do talk about it as like a stock market for sports, but it's really much more like a futures market because you get that, you know, that guaranteed payout sitting there at the end. And it doesn't necessarily involve anything on your end. It's like, hey, if I have shares in, in Tom Brady and I paid 10 bucks and, you know, his final payout's 20, we just automatically deposit $20 per share into your account for every, every single Tom Brady share. Mm. I think it's important to reiterate too, like the the point system, right? So I think in terms of for everyone that knows fantasy, it's pretty straightforward. But based on how well that player performs, they'll have points assigned. So do you guys have like the statistics key of like 10 yards equals one point, you know, prior to the game, I'm assuming? Yeah, exactly. We try to keep it pretty consistent with all the other kind of standard scoring structures. We did tweak it a little bit more like turnovers in football for instance so like interceptions or fumbles loss are a little more negative just to kind of balance out quarterbacks relative to everyone else so that mm. you know quarterbacks weren't dominating the top of the leaderboard but you know at the end of the day if like a wide receiver goes off for 200 yards and two touchdowns like they're going to beat everyone else same goes for running back but we were talking previously you know players are going to win it's based relative to how they're priced at the ipo that's really how the stock market should work in essence companies are doing well their stocks should go well you know, but obviously that's not how the stock market works here. It's it's more kind of true to how that player performs based off relative to how other people think it, they will perform, right? So you can yeah. find those like sleepers, you know, for example. Yeah, exactly. Because we have live pricing and with the IPO phase, pricing is really dictated by end users. It's another like finance corollary where you get like true market sentiment because people are basically voting on popular guys with their wallets. And so it's like, if someone ends up, you know, going over like what they were projected for fantasy points, it's because, you know, our end users as a market feel pretty good about backpulsing global performing and they're going to go for a higher price. And so it's pretty indicative of like just general market sentiment, which is really hard to find in other places. You may hear about people like trying to do it for sports betting models or DFS or things like that. And it's like, Maybe they're scraping Twitter. Like these are things that like, you know, hedge funds are doing like at scale, like with negative headlines and stuff like that. And so our pricing is generally pretty indicative of like going into a week, you know, how they feel about a guy. And so to your point, you don't necessarily need, depending on the pricing, you don't need the player that finishes first to make the most money. You may make more money off of a guy that's undervalued in our IPO that you have a really strong feeling on, or you're just, we're willing to take a risk because there was like minimal downside. And say they were like projected to finish 50th and they finish top 20, maybe you'll make like 3x your money. Whereas if you got the guy, you know, like Christian McCaffrey, who's super popular, goes for 18 bucks and finishes first, like on that guy, you'd only make like seven bucks a share. And, and so, you know, it's all relative. So have you, have you noticed like trends? I'm sure you're looking at the data all the time and, and seeing. So is it truly a free market? Have you noticed like a trend where, still the most popular players are, are, are picked the most or are there a lot of people out there finding, you know, hidden gems, I guess? Yeah, you get a little bit of both. I think it's generally pretty safe to say that like there's some headline guys like Josh Allen, Mahomes, McCaffrey, you know, all, all those guys. But it just means that like the floor for their performance is that much higher for you, for you to break even and then obviously make money. And so you get some people who just, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a bunch of guys that are in that like, one to five dollar range and you know i'm hoping that they have a big day slingshot yeah right exactly and i just try to construct like a balanced portfolio and so again if you're talking about like yeah i need terms like you, you got maybe a couple blue chips that you're willing to pay off bonsai yeah you have a couple, <laughs> you have a couple mid-cap guys and then you get like a little mix of like your penny stock bucket there yeah there you go I love this. I love this. So I'm excited because we're going to be doing this weekly and especially as football season kicks off, we'll have a little segment where we're talking about this. We'll bring on some sports influencers as well that, that we know so we can get some 
edges for the listeners out there. Thank you so much again, Tyler, for joining us. Yeah, no, obviously appreciate it. It was awesome to connect. Sorry to miss Joey. I know he missed out on a nice little 20% pop in Snowflake today, so. <laughs> <laughs> Love that, man. All right, well, thanks so much for popping on. They will be matching 100% deposit match up to $100. Use the code POUND. We will be sharing the link out in email and on Twitter. I'm very excited about this, actually. This is something that will be another addiction for me yet again. But let's wrap up the show. We got a big week of earnings. Monday, Pin Duo Duo. Tuesday, Best Buy, Baidu, Futu. CrowdStrike is going to be an interesting one. I want to hear what your thoughts are there, Joey. ChargePoint, Chewy, HP. Wednesday, we got Express, Chico's, MongoDB, Okta, Sentinel-1. We got Broadcom, Lululemon, and PagerDuty, which you touched on earlier in the show, Joey. So... Crowd strikes your baby, which was my original baby, but I'd love to hear what you're thinking here into earnings. I'm very excited for CrowdStrike. So Palo Alto Network gave us a very strong feel for what's going on in cybersecurity. And we've talked about this many times now where this is just not a space where companies can afford to cut back on, even if times get tough. And where more companies are coming into the fold, whether it's, you know, they're getting breached or they're having any issues or, you know, they're scared for any reason. CrowdStrike is that go-to platform because they've stopped breaches. So I'm very excited to see what they have. And that will actually, you know, kind of correlate directly with what you're going to see from Sentinel One on Wednesday. Not nearly as good of a financial profile, but another, you know, high growth player in that cybersecurity space. But, you know, one thing I, I'm very excited to see is ChargePoint because I've been looking into them as this whole you know, EV infrastructure is going to be the key to the long term of us actually having, you know, this transition to electric vehicles. And they've been making some cool deals. You know, they signed a deal with like Volvo and Starbucks to have a fleet of charging stations along a specific route. And if they partner with the right companies, like imagine if they put two or three charging stations at every Starbucks location in the United States, like the right partnerships can really help this thing absolutely take off. So very excited for that one. And I would say, I think MongoDB is one of my three or four largest positions that I've owned for a very long time. So I'm very excited to see what they're going to say as well. And I mean, they, they just continue to deliver incredible operations. So very confident that they'll, they'll delight us once again. Not to put you on the spot, you know, I was just checking on Twitter here and that's pretty cool what they're doing. So they're getting into like ad space, right? So why not? have huge ads right in front of the charging stations. Is that a big part of their revenue today? Or is that just a brand new leg that's recent that they're growing up? I haven't seen that as like a huge revenue stream for them. At least I haven't dug into the earnings release enough to see that. But, you know, that does make perfect sense because, you know, there's some gas stations, I think it's like Shell and Wawa, where, you know, when you're pumping, you'll see the screen pop up and it starts just talking to you. Now, it might be different if you plug in your electric car and then go shopping. It's just like, you know, spewing ads to someone that's not there. But... You know, it would be interesting, or even if it's just like a branded one where, yeah, say you co-brand your your charge point spot and just covered in in Starbucks logos, or, you know, you could easily do, you know, if you do an Amazon return to Kohl's and they give you like the 15% off coupon, it would only make sense like, hey, if you're charging at this charge point station, you get 5% off, 10% off, whatever. Yeah, you put these in Simon Property Group, I'm saying, just like all of these malls. Right. And then Kohl's has 15% up. You're probably going to scan a QR code and then walk into Kohl's where you didn't plan on walking into Kohl's. That's actually a huge area in which they could grow. So kind of going to everything that you were just seeing, I'm, I'm looking at your list. So Okta is going to be another, you know, big cybersecurity play. They took a hit, I think, because they got hacked or, or some sort of breach. And, you know, when a cybersecurity company goes through something like that, it, it's not the best look and the stock is yet to recover from that. So it's just to see what they say. And, you know, Lululemon is a brand that's near and dear to all of our hearts because they have incredible apparel. I was out shooting that stuff for years for CrossFit, but recently switched over to a different brand, Viore. If you haven't seen them, check them out. They're pretty awesome. But that is another one I'll be watching closely. Was that an ad drop for Viore or no? Yeah, I How wish. And I get them as a sponsor. They're so good. It's, it's a relatively new brand, but I swear, if you go to their website once, all I see there is their TikTok and Instagram ads now. But I mean, their shorts, the Viore Bank shorts that I'm wearing for CrossFit right now, they're, they can do anything. They're incredible. Free ad slot for you, Viore. I hope to hear there it. There it is. All right. We've given Joey the mic to end the podcast the past few weeks. So 
Tony, we're going to kick it back to you. The market's continuing to tell you what's strong and what's weak. Like the stuff that gets like a perfect example of what's weak versus what's strong is like what didn't get wrecked on Friday. What isn't down over like 50% right now? You know, like those are the names that whether or not you think the market's going to get better or get worse, like those should make up your watch list just because like, why are you going to buy something that just hasn't had any pops, right? Like you can short that, but like if you're looking for, you know, playing both sides, like the easiest way to do, especially if people are like long leaning since everything's pretty much at a discount. Like I know people are looking to try to buy the dip and this and that and whatever, but you can make it a lot simpler. Like you can make the game doesn't have to be on legendary Halo three mode. You can put it on easy. And that you tweet though that you were you sent to, to Joey because that was kind of scary with the VIX. Oh yeah, I wrote that tweet with this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's where I wanted you to go here I, at the end. I yeah, no, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff like that. Like if you look at the 2001, like that's why I said we were going to top at uh, 31 or 43, uh, like 40 ish area because that was not just a Fibonacci. That was a 200 day. And if you look at like 2001 and 2008, it literally we popped over the previous like top high, like the local high, like of a month or two before whenever it started uh, going higher. And then we just crashed right from there. So if you like ARK's been following NASDAQ in 2001 to the T, the rest of the markets have weirdly been following 2001 and 2008, which makes me to believe that like people think this time is different. It doesn't it's not different on the right or the left side, right? Like it's the same. It's going to it's going to the crashes are going to be pretty much similar, I think, to the times that people have seen crashes just because like nobody knows anything. And so all you're going to do is look at history and just kind of assume that that's the way it's going to roll. And then you're going to self-fulfill your prophecy, which is just everyone's lives because we're all just once again living in our own assumptions and there's no such thing as reality. So with that being said, Pounders, figure it out and be back next week with more info. I'm taking a screenshot. You had a meaningful moment. (laughs) All right. That's sick. Inside.